Section three of Dissertation on Oriental Gardening by Sir William Chambers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Yearsley. Section three. The plantations of their autumnal scenes consist of many sorts of oak, beech, and other deciduous trees that are retentive of the leaf, and afford in their decline a rich variegated colouring with which they blend some evergreens, some fruit trees, and the few shrubs and flowers which blossom late in the year, placing amongst them decayed trees, pollards, and dead stumps, of picturesque forms, overspread with moss and ivy. The buildings with which these scenes are decorated are generally such as indicate decay, being intended as mementos to the passenger. Some are hermitages and almshouses, where the faithful old servants of the family spend the remains of life in peace, amidst the tombs of their predecessors who lie buried around them. Others are ruins of castles, palaces, temples, and deserted religious houses, or half-buried triumphal arches and mausoleums, with mutilated inscriptions that once commemorated the heroes of ancient times, or they are sepulchres of their ancestors, catacombs and cemeteries for their favourite domestic animals, or whatever else may serve to indicate the debility, the disappointments, and the dissolution of humanity, which, by cooperating with the dreary aspect of autumnal nature and the inclement temperature of the air, fill the mind with melancholy and incline it to serious reflections. Such is the common scenery of the Chinese gardens where the ground has no striking tendency to any particular character, but where it is more strongly marked their artists never fail to improve upon its singularities. Their aim is to excite a great variety of passions in the mind of the spectator, and the fertility of their imagination, always upon the stretch in search of novelty, furnishes them with a thousand artifices to accomplish that aim. The scenes which I have hitherto described are chiefly of the pleasing kind, but the Chinese gardeners have many sorts which they employ as circumstances vary, all which they range in three separate classes, and distinguish them by the appellations of the pleasing, the terrible, and the surprising. The first of these are composed of the gayest and most perfect productions of the vegetable world, intermixed with rivers, lakes, cascades, fountains, and waterworks of all sorts, being combined and disposed in all the picturesque forms that art or nature can suggest. Buildings, sculptures, and paintings are added, to give splendour and variety to these compositions, and the rarest productions of the animal creation are collected to enliven them. Nothing is forgot that can either exhilarate the mind, gratify the senses, or give a spur to the imagination. Their scenes of terror are composed of gloomy woods, deep valleys inaccessible to the sun, impending barren rocks, dark caverns, and impetuous cataracts rushing down the mountains from all parts. The trees are ill-formed, forced out of their natural directions, and seemingly torn to pieces by the violence of tempests. Some are thrown down and intercept the course of the torrents, others look as if blasted and shattered by the power of lightning. The buildings are in ruins, or half-consumed by fire, or swept away by the fury of the waters, nothing remaining entire but a few miserable huts 
dispersed in the mountains which serve at once to indicate the existence and wretchedness of the inhabitants bats owls vultures and every bird of prey flutter in the groves wolves tigers and jackals howl in the forests half-famished animals wander upon the plains gibbets crosses wheels and the whole apparatus of torture are seen from the roads and in the most dismal recesses of the woods where the ways are rugged and overgrown with poisonous weeds and where every object bears the marks of depopulation are temples dedicated to the king of vengeance deep caverns in the rocks and descents to gloomy subterranean habitations overgrown with brushwood and brambles near which are inscribed on pillars of stone pathetic descriptions of tragical events and many horrid acts of cruelty perpetrated there by outlaws and robbers of former times and to add both to the horror and sublimity of these scenes they sometimes conceal in cavities on the summits of the highest mountains foundries lime-kilns and glass-works which send forth large volumes of flame and continued clouds of thick smoke that give to these mountains the appearance of volcanoes their surprising or supernatural scenes are of the romantic kind and abound in the marvellous being calculated to excite in the mind of the spectator quick successions of opposite and violent sensations sometimes the passenger is hurried by steep descending paths to subterranean vaults divided into stately apartments where lamps which yield a faint and glimmering light discover the pale images of ancient kings and heroes reclining on beds of slate their heads are crowned with garlands of stars and in their hands are tablets of moral sentences flutes and soft harmonious organs impelled by subterranean waters interrupt at stated intervals the silence of the place and fill the air with solemn sacred melody sometimes the traveller after having wandered in the dusk of the forest finds himself on the edge of precipices in the glare of daylight with cataracts falling from the mountains around and torrents raging in the depths beneath him or at the foot of impending rocks in gloomy valleys overhung with woods or on the banks of dull moving rivers whose shores are covered with sepulchral monuments under the shade of willow laurel and other plants sacred to manchu the genius of sorrow his way now lies through dark passages cut in the rocks on the sides of which are recesses filled with colossal figures of dragons infernal furies and other horrid forms which hold in their monstrous talons mysterious cabalistical sentences inscribed on tables of brass with preparations that yield a constant flame serving at once to guide and to astonish the passenger from time to time he is surprised with repeated shocks of electrical impulse with showers of artificial rain or sudden violent gusts of wind and instantaneous explosions of fire the earth trembles under him by the power of confined air and his ears are successively struck with many different sounds produced by the same means some resembling the cries of men in torment some the roaring of bulls and howl of ferocious animals with the yell of hounds and the voices of hunters others are like the mixed croaking of ravenous birds and others imitate thunder the raging of the sea the explosion of cannon 
the sound of trumpets, and all the noise of war. His road then lies through lofty woods, where serpents and lizards of many beautiful sorts crawl upon the ground, and where innumerable apes, cats, and parrots clamber upon the trees to intimidate him as he passes, or through flowery thickets, where he is delighted with the singing of birds, the harmony of flutes, and all kinds of soft instrumental music. Sometimes, in this romantic excursion, the passenger finds himself in spacious recesses, surrounded with arbours of jessamine, vine, and roses, or in splendid pavilions, richly painted and illumined by the sun. Here beauteous Tartarian damsels, in loose transparent robes, that flutter in the scented air, present him with rich wines, or invigorating infusions of ginseng and amber in goblets of agate, mangostans, ananas, and fruits of quangfi, in baskets of golden filigree. They crown him with garlands of flowers, and invite him to take the sweets of retirement on Persian carpets, and beds of camusseth skin down. These enchanted scenes always abound with waterworks, so contrived as to produce many surprising effects, and many splendid pieces of scenery, amongst which their Kiao King, or water palaces, are the most extraordinary. They consist of many colonnades, arcades, galleries, and open cabinets, formed of smooth sheets and jets of fair water, artfully rising or falling over grounds of different coloured glass, or over innumerable lamps, which, varying the tints of the liquid, give to the structures the appearance and lustre of diamond, sapphire, emerald, ruby, amethyst, and topaz. Air is likewise employed with great success on different occasions, not only for the purposes above mentioned, but also to form artificial and complicated echoes, some repeating the motion of the feet, some the rustling of garments, and others the human voice in many different tones, all of which are calculated to embarrass, to surprise, or to terrify the passenger in his progress. All sorts of optical deception are also made use of, such as paintings on prepared surfaces contrived to vary the representations as often as the spectator changes place, exhibiting in one view groups of men, in another combats of animals, in a third rocks, cascades, trees, and mountains, in a fourth temples and colonnades, with a variety of other pleasing subjects. They likewise contrive pavements and incrustations for the walls of their apartments of mosaic work, composed of many pieces of marble, seemingly thrown together without order or design, which, when seen from certain points of view, unite in forming lively and exact representations of men, animals, buildings, or landscapes, and they frequently have pieces of architecture, even whole prospects in perspective, which are formed by introducing temples, bridges, vessels, and other fixed objects, lessened as they are more removed from the points of view, by giving greyish tints to the distant parts of the composition, and by planting there trees of a fainter colour and smaller growth than those that stand on the foreground, thus rendering considerable in appearance what in reality is trifling. The Chinese artists employ in these enchanted scenes the Vendezhang, the ever-moving poplar, the Pao Lu, 
with all kinds of sensitive and other extraordinary trees, plants, and flowers. Footnote. The Vendejang is a native of Siam. It bears flowers of an agreeable smell, which, when they open, are of diverse colours as red, yellow, white, and black. The fruit, when it comes to maturity, has the exact resemblance of a wild duck. End footnote. Footnote. The Pao Lu is a tree very common in Bengal and some parts of China, to which the large Indian bats have a particular attachment, insomuch that during daylight they almost cover its branches, hanging upon them in clusters like fruit. End footnote. They keep in them a surprising variety of monstrous birds, reptiles, and animals, which they import from distant countries, or obtain by crossing the breeds. These are tamed by art, and guarded by enormous dogs of Tibet, monstrous dwarfs, and African giants, in the habits of eastern magicians. They likewise have amongst the plantations cabinets in which are collected all the extraordinary productions of the animal, vegetable, and mineral kingdoms, as well as paintings, sculptures, medals, antiquities, and ingenious inventions of the mechanic arts, which are a fresh sort of entertainment when the weather is bad or when the heat is too intense to admit of being in the open air. The communications to the different scenes and other parts of the Chinese gardens are by walks, roads, bridleways, navigable rivers, lakes, and canals, in all which their artists introduce as much variety as possible, not only in the forms and dimensions, but also in their decoration, avoiding, nevertheless, all the absurdities with which our ancient European style of gardening abounds. I am not ignorant, said one of their artists, that your European planters, thinking nature scanty in her arrangements, or being perhaps disgusted with the familiarity and commonness of natural objects, introduce artificial forms into their plantations, and cut their trees in the shapes of pyramids, flower-pots, fishes, and birds. I have heard of colonnades and whole palaces formed by plants, cut as precisely as if they had been built of stone and of huntsmen, horses, dogs, boars, and tigers in full speed, made of yew and holly. But this is purchasing variety at the expense of reason. Such extravagancies ought never to be tolerated, excepting in enchanted scenes, and there but very seldom, for they must be as destitute of beauty as they are of propriety. And if the planter be a traveller and a man of observation, he can want no such helps to variety, as he will recollect a thousand beautiful effects along the common roads of the countries through which he has passed, that may be introduced with much better success. Their roads, walks, and avenues are either directed in a single straight line, twisted in a crooked one, or carried zigzag by several straight lines, altering their course at certain points. They observe that there are few objects more strikingly great than a spacious road, planted on each side with lofty trees, and stretching in a direct line beyond the reach of the eye, and that there are few things more variously entertaining than a winding one, which, opening gradually to the sight, discovers at every step a new arrangement and, although in itself it has not the power of raising violent emotions, yet, by bringing the passenger suddenly or unexpectedly 
to great or uncommon things it occasions strong impressions of surprise and astonishment which are more forcibly felt as being more opposite to the tranquil pleasure enjoyed in the confined parts of the road and in small compositions they find crooked directions exceedingly useful to the planter who by winding his walks may give an idea of great extent notwithstanding the narrowness of his limits they say that roads which are composed of repeated straight lines altering their directions at certain points have all the advantages both of crooked and straight ones with other properties peculiar to themselves the variety and new arrangement of objects say they which present themselves at every change of direction occupy the mind agreeably their abrupt appearance occasions surprise which when the extent is vast and the repetitions frequent swells into astonishment and admiration the incertitude of the mind where these repetitions will end and its anxiety as the spectator approaches towards the periods are likewise very strong impressions preventing that state of languor into which the mind naturally sinks by dwelling long on the same objects the straight directions particularly the zigzag are on account of these effects well adapted to avenues or high roads which lead to towns palaces bridges or triumphal arches to castles or prisons for the reception of criminals to mausoleums and all other works of which the intent is to inspire horror veneration or astonishment to humbler objects the waving line is a more proper approach the smallness of their parts rendering them unfit for a distant inspection and as they are trifling in themselves they please most when their appearance is unexpected and from the very point whence all their little beauties are seen in the highest lustre in disposing the walks of their gardens the chinese artists are very attentive to lead them successively to all the principal buildings fine prospects and other interesting parts of the composition that the passenger may be conducted insensibly as it were by accident and without turning back or seeming to go out of the way to every object deserving notice both their straight and winding walks are in some places kept at a considerable distance from each other and separated by close planted thickets to hide all exterior objects as well to keep the passenger in suspense with regard to the extent as to excite those gloomy sensations which naturally steal upon the mind in wandering through the intricacies of a solitary forest in other places the walks approach each other and the thickets growing gradually less deep and more thinly planted the ear is struck with the voices of those who are in the adjacent walks and the eye amused with a confused sight of their persons between the stems and foliage of the trees insensibly again the plantations spread and darken the objects disappear and the voices die in confused murmurs when unexpectedly the walks are turned into the same open spaces and the different companies are agreeably surprised to meet where they may view each other and satisfy their curiosity without impediment the chinese gardeners very seldom finish any of their walks en cul de sac carefully avoiding all unpleasant disappointments 
but if at any time the nature of the situation obliges them to it they always terminate at some interesting object which lessens the disappointment and takes off the idea of a childish conceit neither do they ever carry a walk round the extremities of a piece of ground and leave the middle entirely open as it is too often done amongst us for though it might render the first glance striking and noble they think the pleasure would be of short duration and that the spectator would be but moderately entertained by walking several miles with the same objects continually obtruding upon his sight if the ground they have to work upon be small and they choose to exhibit a grand scene either from the principal habitation or any other capital point they do indeed leave a great part of the space open but still care is taken to have a good depth of thicket which frequently breaks considerably in upon the open space and hides many parts of it from the spectator's eye these projections produce variety by altering the apparent figure of the open space from every point of view and by constantly hiding parts of it they create a mystery which excites the traveller's curiosity they likewise occasion in many places a great depth in the thicket which affords opportunities of making recesses for buildings seats and other objects as well as for bold windings of the principal walks and for several smaller paths to branch off from the principal ones all which take off the idea of a boundary and furnish amusement to the passenger in his course and as it is not easy to pursue all the turns of the different lateral paths there is still something left to desire and a field for the imagination to work upon in their crooked walks they carefully avoid any sudden or unnatural windings particularly the regular serpentine curves of which our english gardeners are so fond observing that these eternal uniform undulating lines are of all things the most unnatural the most affected and most tiresome to pursue having nature in view they seldom turn their walks without some apparent excuse either to avoid impediments naturally existing or raised by art to improve the scenery a mountain a precipice a deep valley a marsh a piece of rugged ground a building or some old venerable plant afford a striking reason for turning aside and if a river the sea a wide extended lake or a terrace commanding rich prospects present themselves they hold it judicious to follow them in all their windings so to protract the enjoyment which these noble objects procure but on a plain either open or formed into groves and thickets where no impediments oblige nor no curiosity invites to follow a winding path they think it absurd saying that the road must either have been made by art or be worn by the constant passage of travellers in either of which cases it cannot be supposed that men would go by a crooked line where they could arrive by a straight one in general they are very sparing of their twists which are always easy and so managed that never more than one curve is perceptible at the same time they likewise take care to avoid an exact parallelism in these walks both with regard to the trees which border them 
and the ground of which they are composed the usual width given to the walk is from eight to twenty or even thirty feet according to the extent of the plantation but the trees on each side are in many cases more distant large spaces being left open which are covered with grass and wild flowers or with fern broom briars and underwood the ground of the walk is either of turf or gravel neither of them finishing exactly at its edges but running some way into the thickets groves or shrubberies on each side in order to imitate nature more closely and to take off that disagreeable formality and stiffness which a contrary practice occasions in our european plantations in their straight roads or walks when the extent is vast the chinese artists observe an exact order and symmetry saying that in stupendous works the appearance of art is by no means disgusting that it conveys to posterity instances of the grandeur of their ancestors and gives birth to many sublime and pleasing reflections the imperial roads are astonishing works of this nature they are composed of triple avenues adorned with four rows of enormous trees generally indian chestnuts spruce firs mountain cedars and others of formal shapes or oaks elms tulips and others of the largest growth planted at proper regular distances and extending in straight lines and almost on a perfect level two three and even four hundred miles the centre avenues are from one hundred and fifty to two hundred feet wide and the lateral ones are generally from forty to fifty feet the spreading branches of the trees forming over them a natural umbrella under which the travellers pass at all times of the day unmolested by the sun in some places these roads are carried by lofty vaulted passages through the rocks and mountains in others upon causeways and bridges over lakes torrents and arms of the sea and in others they are supported between the precipices upon chains of iron or upon pillars and many tier of arcades over villages pagodas and cities in short no difficulty has been attended to in their construction but every obstacle has been conquered with amazing industry and at an almost incredible expense there are in different parts of china many works of the kinds just mentioned but amongst the most considerable are counted the passage of king tong the bridges of fu chiu those of Swen chu and lo yang with the kien tao in the province of xenfi the first of these is a communication between two precipices composed of twenty enormous chains of iron each two hundred feet in length which are covered with planks and earth to form the road the second is a cluster of bridges between fu chiu and nanti uniting various islands that divide the river into different streams the principal of these consists of one hundred arches of a sufficient size for the passage of ships under full sail it is built of large blocks of hewn stone and enclosed with a magnificent marble balustrade the pedestals of which support two hundred colossal lions artfully cut in the same material the third is a bridge at swen chu fu built over an arm of the sea that sometimes is very boisterous it is above three-quarters of a mile long thirty-five feet wide 
and consists of one hundred and thirty piers of an astonishing height upon which are laid vast blocks of a greyish granite that form the road but the largest and most surprising work of the sort that has yet been heard of is the bridge of lo yang in the province of Fokien. it is composed of three hundred piers of black marble joined to each other by vast blocks of the same material forming the road which is enclosed with a marble balustrade whose pedestals are adorned with lions and other works of sculpture the whole length of the bridge is sixteen thousand two hundred feet or upwards of three miles its width is forty-two feet and the blocks of which it is composed are each fifty-four feet long and six feet diameter the kien tao or way of pillars is a communication between many precipices built to shorten a road to peking it is near four miles long of a considerable width and supported over the valleys upon arches and stone piers of a terrifying height in the mountains on each side of these imperial roads are erected a great number of buildings surrounded with cypress groves and adorned with works of sculpture which afford constant entertainment to the passengers these are the monuments of their wise men their saints and their warriors erected at the expense of the state and furnished with nervous inscriptions in the chinese language giving an account of the lives and actions of those they commemorate some of these buildings are distributed into many spacious courts and stately apartments being little inferior to palaces either in magnificence or extent they are furnished with all kinds of movables and utensils much larger than the common size and a great number of colossal figures are everywhere seen representing officers soldiers eunuchs saddle horses camels lions and dogs all placed in melancholy attitudes with countenances expressive of the deepest sorrow instead of roads the centre avenues are sometimes formed into navigable canals from one hundred to one hundred and fifty feet wide being sufficiently deep to admit galleys and other small vessels with horseways on each side of the canals for the convenience of towing them either against the wind or the stream on these the emperor and chinese mandarins are frequently conveyed in large magnificent sampans or barges divided into many splendid rooms being sometimes attended by a considerable train of smaller vessels of different constructions adorned with dragons streamers lanterns of painted silk and various other ornaments the whole composing a very brilliant and entertaining show all the imperial forests besides the high roads which pass through them have many spacious avenues cut in the woods spreading from different centres like rays of stars and terminating at idol temples towers castles and all the interesting objects of the circumjacent country the centres from which these avenues part are of a circular or octagonal figure with eight avenues or of a semicircular form with only three branching from them their area is generally very considerable and its middle is adorned with a triumphal arch a pagoda a magnificent fountain or some other considerable monument where the extent is vast each single avenue has besides in its course one or more open spaces from which a number of smaller avenues again branch out 
and terminate at many buildings erected in the woods for various purposes all which without any confusion add to the variety and intricacy of these compositions giving them an appearance of immensity not to be conceived but by such as have seen them and wherever a deep valley a large river or an arm of the sea interrupt and break off the course of the avenues the plantations are nevertheless continued on the opposite shore in order to make them appear more considerable end of section three